This is a podcast from meow.net. Meow! As a social practice artist, I sometimes visit schools and lead creative activities with children. Teachers tell the class they must be good listeners. But what is a good listener? Am I a good listener? Listening can be hard to describe or define. It depends on your relationships, your context, your intentions for listening. I'd like my community-based art practice to be open and collaborative. And so surely listening is very important. My name is Hannah Kemp Welsh, and this series is part of my research into listening within social art practice. In these episodes, I speak to socially engaged, community and participatory artists to understand how they listen within their practice, what gets in the way of listening, and what the consequences of listening might be. Episode 1, Albert Petroni listening and not knowing. I first came across Albert's work in 2017 whilst I was working in the learning team at Tate. Albert designed a series of wearable sculptures worn by families in ways that physically, humorously and beautifully joined them together whilst they explored the galleries. Play is a theme in Albert's work, explored through commissions at places like Baltic, V&A, South London Gallery and many more. Just to start off with and to set the scene, could you tell us a little bit about how you describe your practice? When I talk to people that are not in the art world, I just basically tell them that I work with people. The work is is inputted in different degrees by the people I work with, and that could be groups from, from groups to individuals, from groups that know each other or from separate groups. The term participatory is also useful sometimes, but it's also quite broad and confusing too. What are you participating? Just moving things around, or so it's yeah, it's at different levels. There was a moment where I went to see um, a film that uh, I don't know if you know the artist, but Ana Laura Lopez de la Torre, who used to be in London. She did a fantastic piece of work with a school, and she was reivindicating the term community artist again. And I thought, yes, yeah, that is that makes sense. But now I think it's more complicated again to use that term, both in terms of how you perceived. That makes me want to use it, but, but also in terms of how much the term lies or, or, or tells the truth about uh, community, such a contested term. And yeah, basically my practice looks for the participation of others. And depending on the project, it's in different degrees. For quite a few years now, it's been fundamental to the work, uh, both the process and the outcome. In my work, there is a process of creating community within the project and within the sessions and the process and the journey of the project. There's this sense, there's this intention too, it's intentional of creating a community of interest, basically more than community full stop and this sort of woolly and uh, slightly misleading term. Uh, Yes, I totally understand that dilemma. Um, How about the term socially engaged? Do you use that to describe your practice? Where do you stand on that term? I guess, yes, I do feel like the one that is slightly more, not neutral, but sort of less problematic is socially engaged artists. But it's used by the institutions because it brings the institution into the world with a different face. 
even within the institution, that's not that's it's said that it's very valued, but also it's not so valued. No, and I have mainly with, had experiences with curators that I work with that are fantastic and that they are basically struggling within their institution to sort of make them see what's going on, what's happening, and the importance of, of what's happening in their program. It's an ongoing thing. It's like goes in cycles, isn't it? It becomes quite fashionable because of reasons of marketing and money bringing in the institutions and also perhaps also because as a response to obviously social situations and political situations and then it sort of gets slightly dropped and refound again it's constantly reinventing the wheel of oh we should be engaging with the community now again this this community that is this mythical beast that we don't know who it is or the institutions don't really know who it is and then when it's useful to the institution it's picked up and then it's participatory work has been sort of dropped and I mean if you did like a piece of work with trying to recover all the titles for the education department from learning from participation from that depending on the period it sort of changes the name of the of the education department of institutions have to adopt a different name uh, and and that how that really is so telling of that what do you need to do to get that work valued basically yeah absolutely I particularly noticed that in the 2021-22 Turner Prize, where all of the nominees were nominated in the exhibition text that used this phrase because they worked closely and continuously with communities. This was something that was being particularly valued by the Turner Prize that year, but apparently not since. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about the context of your work. Are your projects commissioned or do you work with community groups over a long period of time to develop an application? How do they come into being? I'm asking this particularly because I think it's really important to understand the context of social art projects, all the things that surround it that might influence an artist's ability to listen within these projects. It's a, it's a mixture. And uh, initially, my practice was very, they were set very separate. It was my, the self-initiated projects and then the commissions, and they sort of went parallel. Through the years, things have been changing quite a bit because of two things, because of me incorporating my interest or my project within the commission, so try offering that. I'll give you an example. <laughs> Sorry, to the, within the, the brief of the commission, seeing the space to bring in what I was interested. And then also because I'm quite old now, so basically after all these people... Well, I was going to say they are not very imaginative, but it's not true. Commissioners can be very imaginative too. But basically, if you've done certain things, they will be asked if you are interested in doing something that is on the lines of or in the area. So in a way, your area of interest, if you've managed to bring your, your interest in the previous commissions, then you can develop that. I, for a while, I've been researching and doing things with a, for a project on men and feminism and researching mainly groups, anti-sexist men's groups of the 70s and 80s in the UK. So I've been doing several things, some performances and things, and I've also been interested in play. So I've also been doing a lot of stuff to do with play. And then uh, Baltic asked me to, they wanted to commission me a play space, a play installation in, in the main gallery, there, in one of the main galleries at the, at the ground floor. But that gallery is connected to a smaller gallery. So I sort of started thinking of what I could do and... Um, and I was interested in looking at Aldo Van Eyck's elements. And basically, I thought that the play installation could be a good way of exploring quality through play, but also looking at equality through childcare and, and the men's involvement role in it. 
So in the smaller space, the space of the play installation had uh, did some stuff that derived from Aldovanai, but also some stuff that I designed, and it was well, playing with the scale and fostering collaboration, totally ungendered, and etc. Cetera, et cetera. But then the, the small space had all this research from, uh, from the anti-sexist men's movement linked to childcare. And, and then at the same time, then I proposed to work with a group of teenage fathers that's uh, in, in Gateshead. Uh, it's, a, it's a specific group called the yeah, Northeast Young Lads and Dads Project. So because the people from these collectives of the 70s and 80s, obviously they were middle class, they were people who had been in university. So I brought together a few members of the, that of one of the collectives and the group of dads to look at fatherhood at, uh, in this in these two different moments, no? and then we produce something together. So I'll go, I'll leave all this. But the idea is like, how do you bring your interest within within commissions? And so, and I've managed to do it not always, but well, yeah, most most of um, I think this is because of age. As I was saying, when you have done quite a few things, and then people start sort of asking you to do things that link to something you've done before. Could you tell me a little bit about collaboration within that project? In the exhibition, there was a film and a lot of publications because the group that I was working with, the ex-members of this anti-sexist men's group, which are in the 70s and 80s, what they left for everybody else in the, for, as, as a legacy was this magazine called Achilles Hill that they produced and published almost 10 years of issues. And they did this amazing series for Channel 4 called About Men and... And one of them was about men and children. And that's projected on this... It was projected on the, on the smaller room... So we were looking at these two ways of exploring fatherhood with the with the lad and thinking what would be appropriate. Would you like to do a film? Would you like to do something like a publication? Or and then we just left it there because it was sometimes for a group it's very difficult to think of what I want to do. You're just inviting me here. Why should I decide what I want to do? So then we started just working and there was a lot of play and a lot of making things, thinking through making and then meeting these guys too and, and looking at the film with them and looking at the material with them. And we started sort of just recording our conversations and the themes that came up and collecting the themes. And then I would go home type down or what what happened, come back, so well, those seem to be the themes, and then talking about which one are you interested, and then they said, well, we want to talk about this one, and then doing things about it. It was easy because I had 10 sessions, which is a luxury, and the group was small. I had like between 5 and 12, on and off, with quite a few regulars, which also that helped, otherwise that would have been impossible. And then we also had sessions where we invited their kids and their partners, if they were still with their partners, and when we did play sessions and also thinking about parenthood and fatherhood with them. So in a way, it built incrementally in the material that we were all producing. It was then sort of brought back into the session. And then, yes, then there was this moment at the end where I sort of collated all the material. I made these posters, and then we went through the things that they thought from what had come out that thought they were the most important. Of course, if I thought something was really important, I did made my case too. But in, it, it was relatively easy, actually. There was, a, there was no conflict, I think, only about changing the names of the kids mainly and things like that. And then once we had that, then they knew that, that they wanted to make a publication. They didn't want it to make a, a film. 
And then we looked at aesthetics too, how should it be? And we looked at the aesthetics of the 70s and 80s publications, which were quite interesting. And then I showed them other things too, other queer magazines and things like that. And then we started just playing off. I just scanned, we had a photocopier, scanned things, printed things, and then started making some mock-ups. And from there, then we decided where more or less should the thing go and what should be the cover. So in a way, it was, I feel it's mine too. I mean, in a way, that's, that was what was really nice about this one, that sometimes it's a bit more, yes, there's all this work, all this material is produced together in a very democratic, organic way. And then you take it home and you make it, make something. So... And then, yes, you show it back and see what, what are the problems there, and then you rework it. But there's these two separate processes. And in this one, it felt like it really was quite seamless. I mean, of course, I'm still in control in a way, because I, of course, I'm the one, in a way, the expert on that side of the equation. But still, I think I felt like it really became very theirs, and like lots of things that came up that I had these ideas for this, and then the ideas were much better. And I just basically we went, obviously went for those. And then in the end, I think this is nice. I think this is something that I have to try and see how can I replicate again this idea that I am very, I'm happy, I'm very happy with the product that we've done. I think, yeah, it's, it's my work too. <laughs> and it's, uh, and it's their work too. And I thought that that was a very happy resolution. Absolutely. Could you say more about why? What do you think were the factors that allowed you to get to that point? I think with the lads it was because we created a very intimate space and we were very few. It was delicate. What we were creating was quite delicate because they feel quite brutally <laughs> abused by the, by the preconceptions that, uh, that the society where they live have on them as dads, as the very young, but working class dads, like that we were talking about these things about if you are a hipster in Hoxton with a little kid on your shoulder, you're perceived quite differently if you if you if you are a, a very young lad from Gateshead and you are sort of pushing a pram. That issue of class seems really important within this work, and it's a kind of theme that comes up again and again. It's difficult to reconcile within these social art projects. One of the reasons why the men's movement didn't work, didn't have enough agency in a way, is because it was very white middle class and excessively articulate. It's like almost like art lingo. <laughs> Obviously, it wasn't going to permeate into all the strata of society. I have a very different way of speaking and a different way of, of again, seeing the, seeing the world. So in a way, it's like, but one of them is was trying to reverse, or sort of redress that and bring in the guys now and with this young chap and say, well, what? how can we cross that divide a little bit and communicate? And it had to do with listening. Well, it really had to do with being able to listen where actually something new can happen because you are connecting two different ways of thinking or two ways of seeing things or ways of imagining things. And I think that uh, I think for us as artists, I think it's really to be very aware of it. And if you are, as I was saying, you actually find solutions that sometimes really surprise you and are much better than what you, what you would do, what you imagine, because you are, you are yourself in this sort of, bracket of thoughts in a way and uh, that what is art and what is uh, what sort of outcomes should be and so yeah so in this project you were almost able to listen across that sort of class difference that seems rare i got interested about the the achilles Hill collective because i was doing a project that's young junks ago about the squatting and housing co-op movement in the 70s and 80s in london too because i live in a housing co-op but as a as a latecomer. I've been there for a long time, but of course, nothing to do with founding it or, or anything. And uh, one of the things that 
came up in the project that I did was that, that basically one of the members who had a strong voice carried the day. They had this sort of this, they always worked through consensus. There was no vote. And then basically what happened was that, that basically whoever had the strongest voice carried the day and people just in the end deferred to that person. And so it's, it's interesting to be aware of the, of the danger, danger, dangers of structurelessness, which is also applies to any workshop. Also, if you will keep somebody there, like I was saying about oh, what you want to make, you want to make a film, you want to make a, so you, sorry, let's start working and then we'll see what, you, what, what we imagine we can do. If you give too much open-endedness, then it becomes daunting and not that, not, not just daunting, it's just like not that productive. You need some parameters and then from that you can, things can start and then get out of the parameters you've set. So as part of your role, you needed to facilitate a structure for listening, for collaboration in that way. The listening and the not knowing, I think somehow they are they're, they're in a band together. And uh, when I'm trying to like, put in applications for what you want to do when you don't know what it's going to be, and that's the strength of it. <laughs> and how do you sell that? That that's actually that is important, that they, I don't know. That makes that gives meaning to the fact that we're working with people. Otherwise, if I know, they are just uh, a cog in the machinery, and that's fine. I know the situation so well. I have applied for countless projects in which the aim of the project was co-creation with a community group. However, I was asked to define how I would spend the budget far in advance before I'd ever met the community group, which is, you know, of course, a, an impossibility. I've been trying to build this into like when I did this application for the project, I did made it quite clear in the process that I we could produce this or that or that, but that would depend on how the sessions went and what the, the group that we were working sort of, what they were interested in, what materials we were sort of producing together, and then what would be the ad adequate support for those materials later on. But it's still the same thing about, they're all really, oh, yeah, 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 we know that we cannot, this. but then at the same time, they're still asking you, but in the budget, you said that you're going to use this uh, sound recorders, and then you're going to, like, yes, yes, but the budget is just, <laughs> it's just a proxy. I don't have a clue what's going to happen. It's just for you to think more or less of the, <laughs> but yeah, of course, it's, it's not easy. It's a completely different way of, yeah, it's not. It's not co-creation. <laughs> going back to the, to the not knowing stroke listening, I have a scaffolding uh, of the of things that I'm what happened last time, the themes that were interesting, and I keep on reading, of course, and there's other things. So I've got like a scaffolding, initial scaffolding of things that we could look into, and then once we have the first session with the group, we start looking at that one or two of the things, and then something may happen in the material that they research or that they create, or, and then that may change the other so in a way it's like there is like a structure that then somehow it sort of shifts and opens up and goes somewhere else in a way through the listening or basically the doing the being and the doing in the room in the space with these different individuals every everyone bringing something different and sometimes i guess even the the, the role my role in that is to make sure that there's that all the voices are heard in a way like linking to this thing about the the one with the strongest voice carries a day, so that there is also a, a space that has some horizontality within the participants too, basically, that there's not. So, anyway. 
I think one of the things that is important, what you bring is the, again, it's linked to the not knowing. It's not being the expert. By not knowing it, you are seeing it all with a different eyes and with a different perspective. Also because we are artists in, in the sense that we are looking. <laughs> we are looking at everything slightly different. We are curious about things. By, by definition, as being an artist, it's about curiosity and, and not from a standpoint. Of course, you have your own beliefs and your own... Uh, I think the fact that you don't belong, I think that is an asset. That, and perhaps even the most important asset, if you know how to use it, in the sense of that you can see things that uh, are there, the other are so invested in, that you don't see anymore what's happening in the space, in that room at that moment, because you are just connecting it with other things that you've experienced already. So I do think that the fact that we are aliens, I think that is important. I think that is one of the reasons that it works when it works, I think. Yeah, I think that is interesting. It does sometimes bother me, though, that socially engaged artists can end up being almost like a sort of deliveroo artist of working with refugees one minute and, you know, elders the next. And, you know, how invested can you be within this structure? And also, what is it then realistic to deliver that is of use to that community? Sometimes I feel the important thing is the, the work together. And then, yes, I always feel like there has to be something produced that is beautiful, is not the word, that is interesting and that is useful too, I think. I think we have to strive for a little bit of use of what we do without, obviously, it doesn't change anything, doesn't change the world, doesn't change anything. I think that's also, I'm quite worried about this thing about art as therapy, art as uh, problem solving, art as, um, no, that's not what art does. But I think this thing about some something that you leave, something that is not just of use or of recognition for the work done with the group, for the group and for the artist, and kudos to the artist, uh, it's also something that can have some use uh, for somebody who hasn't had anything to do with, uh, with that experience from the outside. And then the conversation that generates afterwards. As you say, it's this other listening for, yes, there is this product or this outcome or this thing, but then you reactivate it and something else happens with when you put it in a different place with different people. And I think that's also important. I mean, I haven't cracked how to, how to make it work all the time, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's something I'm interested in too, that makes sure that things have more lives than, than one. Yeah. Yeah. Ways of Listening is a series for Meanwhile in an Abandoned Warehouse, a podcast about cultural democracy in community art. Show notes with links to the projects discussed are available at meow.net. This episode was recorded and produced by Hannah Kemp Welsh.